a red sun rises. Blood has been spilled this night. Legolas, The Two Towers. You're listening to Writing Roots, brought to you by Aspen House Publishing. Welcome to Writing Roots. I'm Lee Hole. And I'm Lee Esses. Today we're talking about crafting symbolism in your work for the purpose of foreshadowing. We have done an episode on similes and metaphors in the past. If you're looking for symbolism, there's some information there that might be helpful. Today we're talking specifically in the context of communicating something to your readers that your characters don't know through the use of symbolism. These are things that rely often on the reader's experience in some kind of way. So it's not as good for younger audiences that don't have that much experience, don't have that much knowledge, but it can really be useful in very quickly representing something that is bad. Like knowing that a mirror breaks is seven years of bad luck. That's one that you may not recognize as a thing if you're reading middle grade, perhaps. But if you're a full-grown adult, you've probably heard that saying at some point in your life. So a lot of the symbols are ways to communicate to the reader, are ways for the author to communicate to the reader without the characters really recognizing what's going on. Even the quote that we shared at the beginning of Legolas saying, Red Sun Rises, as being a bad, ominous sign, that's actually something that applies in our world. My dad was in the Navy for a while, and he taught me, red at night, sailors delight, red in the morning, sailors take warning. A red sun rising is usually a bad sign, and it has been recognized as that for a while. So in something like a book, a red sun rises, if you have that kind of superstition or knowledge of that superstition, You don't even need the second sentence to understand that this is a bad thing. And your character may not have that information. They may not know that a red sun rising is ominous. They might not think anything of the storm that's on the horizon. They're just like, yeah, we get storms from time to time. That's how life works. But the fact that you, the author, are telling the audience this, it's a scene setting to make something feel ominous without giving actual information that a specific thing is going to happen. Now let's get into the sorts of things you can use as symbolism in your books that is knowledge fairly well known or at least researchable in the real world. Number one, I think, is probably one of the more commons, and that is the secret language of flowers and the delicate ways you can tell people to F off. (laughs) If you're familiar with this, especially Victorian time period, it said a lot about why you're giving flowers to someone. If you're giving them orange flowers, or if you're giving them Easter lilies, you're giving them these flowers that are mean to people, (laughs) then you're communicating something. And a lot of readers, especially of romance and historical romance, will know this code. So even if your character who is receiving said flowers doesn't, you're still telling your audience something about the moment. A lot of sailor superstitions fall in line with this code, where it may sound like a superstition, but there is root in something very real. Like the one that I shared earlier about red sun at night or in the morning, that's a good indication about whether or not you're going to encounter a storm. There are a lot of commonly known superstitions, 
that you can apply to the story. Things like having a black cat cross in front of the detective as they're walking on the way to interrogate this one suspect. Or finding a four-leaf clover. It doesn't have to be an actual plant, but the sign for the bail bondsman is a four-leaf clover. It's like, hey, maybe this is good luck. Maybe good things are happening. One I've seen tossed around a lot is using crows as symbolism, that a certain count of crows or a certain count of ravens, or let's just call them corvids, means a certain thing. So you can use that as a way to subtly represent a hint at what is to come in your story. Another fairly common one that you can use to make something feel ominous without actually telling why is the dream. I'm not a huge fan of dreams in fiction because it's very rare that they progress the story along. More often than not, they slow things down. But if it's a single sentence of she felt like she was falling and then she woke up, something that is relatable because we've all had that dream, then you can put that kind of thing in. And that can be a very subtle way to foreshadow or not so subtle way to foreshadow the events to come. Keep in mind, when you have this sort of dream symbolism, it's often about the character's own sense of identity. So whatever happens to them in this dream needs to be connected to how they see themselves, how they view themselves, and how they're going to go out into the world. So you'll have something like their teeth suddenly falling out or their hair falling out, some sort of identity crisis in their dream that represents something bad that's going to happen. No, in the story, their teeth probably won't fall out, but whatever does happen will feel much the same. So far this episode, we've talked mostly about common beliefs that the world, for the most part, knows, especially if your hero is modern day and an adult. If they're a kid, they might recognize the black cat for bad luck and the walking under a ladder, but that's pretty much it, and that's mostly because of Looney Tunes. But these more sophisticated symbols can be helpful for your character not to notice. Another way to do this is to generate these for yourself. Create this running theme throughout your story and assign omens and what they mean to your characters. I recently saw a fan theory about the Stormlight Archives that draws on something that Sanderson did that's very similar to this of creating a running theme of mentioning shadows in the corners of people's vision or something similar and hinting at them becoming a particular type of night radiant. And somebody pointed out that this has been mentioned for a character that is universally hated. Nobody likes this guy. But we have seen mentions of him having that same kind of shadow in the corner of his eye. And now that this person has pointed that out, I am freaking out because Sanderson tends to be very specific about those kinds of mentions because he is very good at establishing a thing that foretells something that is likely going to happen in a story that you probably don't notice until your second or third time reading. And the rereads, I think, are a lot of the fun in this symbolism and foreshadowing because you know how to interpret these clues as compared to how the character is interpreting these clues. I am currently waiting on book 10 in a series. It'll come out in like a month and a half. And I'm going back through the series with a new theory. And I think this is how the story is going to end several books down the line. He's a long way off from that. 
but I'm seeing these pieces come into place. I'm like, oh, this will be cool. We're going to get time travel eventually. So having this symbolism and dropping these hints make that reread so much more enjoyable because we have an idea of what's going to happen. If you do introduce something like dreams or deja vu, you want it to be a running theme through your story. You want it to be a recurring event and make it feel less like a gimmicky tool and more like a natural part of the story. Another way to create your own symbolism is to, especially in fantasy sci-fi, create your own myths. The myths in the world that can reflect what's happening in the story. In my series, the Modoku Anthologies, there is a myth that this constellation is actually this snake monster thing that eats the moon. And no matter how much it eats the moon, the moon always recovers. And this is their myth around the lunar cycle. But with one character representing the moon and the other representing the sun, and those two battling it out, throughout the story, the fact that the moon comes back after being destroyed becomes symbolism for our hero character. You can also associate characters with certain items or certain animals. So you can use bird-like words to describe a certain character. The first one that comes to mind is Hoyd. He has a hawk-like face. But then you can take that a step further by noticing feathers every time he may or may not have been involved, and it helps connect those two pieces together without overtly connecting them. And we're not just saying, in this case, a pigeon exploded at every crime scene. It's not like it's a signature that's intentionally left behind, but they're passing a store and their logo has a feather used for a quill. Those kind of things, you can have it be super subtle. But on the reread that you know that Bird Guy is the serial killer, then you start to see these connections that we may not have noticed the first time around. Another representation of how this has been done is in Of Mice and Men. Every time Lenny touches something that is soft, he accidentally kills it. So it sets up from the very beginning this idea that if he finds something soft, if he finds something gentle, he is going to kill it. Symbolism is one of those things that, yes, on the reread is a lot of fun for the readers to start to notice your cool best laid plans, but I feel like it's one of those secret indulgences you can have as an author as well. I'm putting these clues in here, and you won't know that these are clues until later on, but it's a lot of fun to do the research on the secret language of Victorian flowers or to do some dream interpretation and then throw something like that in because it might point to who the murderer is or whatever. This kind of symbolism to foreshadow is mostly seen in retrospect, but since you know the story, you get to get that extra maniacal glee of screwing with your readers and your audience. But if you're not having fun with it, it can easily fall flat. So make sure you write selfishly. If you have a question or comment for our hosts or a topic you'd like us to cover, send us an email at writingroots at aspenhousepublishing.com or find us on Facebook by searching for Aspen House Publishing. 